0: Welcome to the Small Church Podcast, where faith, community, and ministry intersect in the unique context of smaller congregations. I'm your host, Tony Marr, and I'm thrilled to be joined by two men who are convinced they're a little bit more talented than I am. (laughs) That is right.
1: I'm Robert Kill, one of those supposedly more talented guys, co-host, and fellow small church leader. Together, we're here to explore the challenges, triumphs, and inspiring stories within the tight-knit communities that make up our smaller churches. And I'm Bruce Montgomery, the one
0: here to bring even more to the table than these two and offer a unique perspective to our conversation. So whether you believe this talent hierarchy or not, you're in for a treat. If you're a pastor, a church member, or just curious about the world of leadership, you're in the right place. Each episode,
1: we dive into topics that matter to you, from innovative ministry ideas to navigating the
0: unique dynamics of a smaller congregation. So grab your cup of coffee, settle in, and let's journey together through the wonderful tapestry of small church life. This is the Small Church podcast. Robert, good morning. How you doing?
1: I'm good, man. I'm sure you're doing great because the weather is above like 50. And so you're having a great time in comparison to 3 degrees last week.
0: How did we go from -4 <laughs> degrees to today's going to be almost 70 degrees in in the course of 4 days? Four People days.
1: think that we're joking when we say, if they're new to Northeast Tennessee, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. But that is literally the truth. I mean, it is just a moving target all the time.
0: I think that a lot of our kids in the area are actually going back to school today. <laughs> they haven't gone to school <laughs> since Christmas. But the,
1: Like the town that I'm a pastor in, with three hour, I've never heard of a three-hour delay. Normally, if you're past two, they're just going to shut it That's down. Right. Just, they took just a three-hour delay a yesterday because they've missed so much school. And they last only have weekend. a
0: five-hour school day, so. <laughs> So yeah, so there you go. Man, it. How's your week going?
1: Uh, it's good. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I'm so fortunate, and I don't know if people know this or not, but the church I pastor at, the campus pastor before me, still attends our church. Like he didn't leave on bad terms. He were by, We were bivocational at that point in time, and so he's like, "Hey, I I just can't do both these things." And so, most our, of
0: our listeners are thinking that sounds like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> well, to live wait, well,
1: I'm getting ready to make it worse. So our former worship pastor and campus pastor led our service this past week. And it was absolutely amazing. Like God just did so much stuff. And uh, Chris is an unbelievable communicator. Um, he works in the school system. Just a great guy, and um, loves that community. He's been there his whole life, and um, he just really knows, speaks well to them, and uh, really. As we were kind of getting through week three of kicking off, uh, you know, practices of prayer and it's kind of set, how do you how do you you know how do you set in the practice and discipline of prayer. It was really good. So yeah, that it was great, great to hear. That's good. How about you?
0: Man, it's I'm, like you said, I'm loving this warm weather. Uh, I uh, defrosted a little bit <laughs> yesterday and didn't have to put my truck into four-wheel drive to go up my driveway <laughs> to get home. I, I did slide my truck into the back wall of my driveway the other day, just hit ice, just backing out of the garage, hit ice, and I thought that I had trashed the thing and put a nice little scratch in the bumper. So if we have any automotive uh, <laughs> listeners out there, that that would send me some touch up paint. That would be nice. Hey, a couple of things I do want to remind our listeners about: that jump on the small church podcast website. You can find us at higherministries.com. dot com. Subscribe there, Rob, Roger. Something new that I had
1: Thanks for doing Bru- that, Bruce. Bruce.
0: Yeah, we we are missing Bruce today, and so I figured I would just give him a, a little. And he called me there. Richard, by the way. Oh, it was Richard. It was Richard. It was yeah. Richard last week. Yeah, so. So, so I yeah, throw in it a, a little thing there to see, <laughs> see if you would catch it, and, and you did, so that was good. But Robert, we, uh, we have been trying a couple of new things to engage with some of our listeners, and so we threw on, wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, some polls that you can be a part of. And so we would encourage you, wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, whatever you're listening to, YouTube Music, You should find a poll there that you can participate in with each of our episodes, something that's related to that episode. We would love to know your your thoughts, your interests, and how we can tailor our next upcoming shows to some of the needs that you might have. Uh, We don't have Bruce with us today, as I was just saying. He uh, had some things going on and wasn't able to chime in, but we do have another guest with us today that I'm very excited to dive into some discussion with. We have Ben Rule joining us this morning. And uh, Ben, you're coming all the way from New Hampshire. How's your weather there this morning?
2: Oh, we, it is currently snowing where we are.
0: <laughs> uh, I was hearing you guys talk about your your ice, and my night my my knuckles were
2: going white. So <laughs> you know, you guys enjoy the ice.
0: Yeah, but you're used to this. This is that that that's that's your norm up <laughs> there from like October till April, right?
2: Yeah, you know, it hasn't been that bad of a winter for us really. We've just had a couple storms, but we did have one last week, I believe. Yeah, we had over a foot. It was, uh, yeah, oh, foot, so a foot and foot a half over a couple of days. Oh, I was, want that so bad. It was, yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was. It's nice, and it's nice. It doesn't last all year.
0: Yeah, that is my nightmare. That is absolutely my nightmare. Ben, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada, and so you see the first bit of frozen rain, and I go into panic mode. I start hyper, hyperventilating and go into a corner. And then my wife has to try to drag me out sometime and say it's okay. We'll get through this. We'll, we'll we'll survive. So Ben, you are you do a lot in in ministry up there. You are the executive director of an organization called Small Town Summits. You're also the campus pastor for Be Free Community Church in Alton. Is that correct? Alton, Alton.
2: That's right.
0: Yeah, Alton, yeah. Tell us tell us a little bit more about your story and how you got. Into your small town ministry up there, into your rural ministry, and how you ended up leading this organization, Small Town Summits.
2: Yeah, so I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. Um, you know, I came to Christ there, I grew up in a Christian family, and um, by the time I was coming to the end of high school, um, there wasn't there just wasn't much that I wanted to do for a living. Uh, but I loved the church, and I wanted to serve my King, and so I was trying to think about what my next steps might be and so what I did was I took a year after high school and I went to England studied at a, a Torchbearers Institute over there Cape and Ray Hall spent a year there and I think that really opened up my world a little bit seeing that w- the world is bigger than Texas I don't know if you have any listeners in Texas but it's hard for us to believe that as Texans sometimes
0: and you so, want to know a, a fun fact back. fun fact to interrupt yeah. you there we are in East Tennessee here, but our number one state where listeners come from is Texas. Because everything's bigger in Texas. Everything is bigger in <laughs> Texas. All right, back to your back Except to Except churches, start. apparently. Yes.
2: Except there's a lot of small churches, yeah. So, yeah, but you know, I came out of that uh, West Houston suburbs world, went to England for a year. That exploded my worldview. Uh, then when I came back to America, um, I, I went to Moody Bible Institute. I was just going to go to a, a school in Texas afterwards, but... I went to Moody Bible Institute, had a really good experience there. Um, took a year after Moody, got a counseling degree, and then went to uh, University Reformed Church in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, did a one year counseling internship there in biblical counseling. And from there, the Lord called me to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. And at that point, God was already laying on my heart, um, I guess, post Christian America. More generally. Right. Growing up in Houston and then living in a city, uh, still the Midwest in Chicago, but living in the city, seeing my country is not as Christian as I thought it was growing up in the West Houston suburbs. And so um, there in Michigan, applied to Gordon Conwell uh, because, you know, I got family in uh, in New Jersey and Connecticut.
0: And in my
2: mind, that was all New England. And I know anybody in New England who's told that I thought that New Jersey was New England would, would not be pleased uh, with that assumption. But um, I came out here, and I just fell in love with the culture, and I found that it, it is as post-Christian here um, as, as people said it was. So it was a missionary heart that brought me to New England, loved my time in uh, Gordon Conwell, um, got married at that time uh, to a girl I met at Moody, and... Um, I just have a heart for the places where the gospel isn't. Um, so during my time in Gordon-Conwell, I was doing my internship at a church called Pepperell Christian Fellowship in Western Massachusetts or Central Massachusetts. And the pastor of that church is a man named Stephen Whitmer. Uh, Stephen was an adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell. That's how I got to know him. Uh, but he also um, would take uh, interns from the, from the school, I needed to do an internship, so I went out and joined his church, and um, uh, he became a really good friend, mentor for me. And uh, by the time I was coming to the end of my internship, graduating and leaving, he and he was already thinking about ministry in small places. And so he and another man named D- uh, David Pinckney, who serves as Acts 29, uh, they started this organization called Small Town Summits. Um, actually, Small Town Seminars at the time, We uh, they had their first event. In uh, 2018, I believe, early 2018. And it was 88 days after I started pastoral ministry. (laughs) And so right at the beginning, and I was dealing with some hard stuff right at the beginning that the church was saving for the pastor to come around. And uh, yeah, so went and was involved in that first event and was really blessed by it. And because of my personal relationship with Stephen, uh, got involved just with helping with stuff behind the scenes and Stephen's still the president of Small Town Summits, so he's really the the leader of it. Uh, I'm the executive director of it, and so I, I do more of the operations and, and communication type stuff. He 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 wrote this book called um, A Big Gospel in Small Places, uh, which got a lot of airtime a couple years ago, and excellent book. But that really is the um, that book really does show the heart of our ministry. Um, and so I can share more about that ministry a little bit later, but that's kind of the long and short version of where I am today, pastoring a church in central New Hampshire, Be Free Community Church in Alton, and uh, been loving it here, town of about 6,000.
0: That's really great. You have a heart for rural ministry, but you didn't grow up in that, growing up in, in Houston. How did that kind of cultivate in you? Yeah. I wouldn't even say I ultimately have a heart
2: for rural ministry. I have a heart for places where the gospel isn't. And so if there's a huge city with no gospel presence, I would have a heart for that place too. So being in a post-Christian place, um, the thing is when you look at New England, New England is, with almost any survey you look at, the least religious and least Christian uh, place in America. Um, I was just looking up some stats before uh, this call. It looks like in 2016, New Hampshire tied for the least religious state in our country. Um, But that's religion generally, right? Broad, (laughs) broad brush. Um, Other stats I was finding says, like, if you focus on things like you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, uh, you believe that the Bible is actually God's word, uh, the number of people who check those boxes, uh, places like rural New England, those numbers can get all the way down to the low single digits, you know? So... Um, town to town, community to community. But I have a friend who um, has done some research into this. Who says that there are 60 towns in New Hampshire that don't have an identifiable gospel presence. Wow! And so that that breaks my heart, you know. And um, I even look around my area, and praise God, there are a few churches that are preaching the gospel and being faithful, living out gospel shaped ministry. Um, but that's not true in a lot of places around here. So I'm really thankful to be. Uh, doing ministry here, and uh, it really does feel like a mission field in many ways.
1: You know, we've talked a little bit about kind of before the call, Ben. Some of the similarities that you and I have. Our towns are really about the same size. I mean, both have about six thousand people. The county I'm in is about seventeen thousand. I mean, it's just we both serve about roughly same size churches and things like that. And we have this small ministry. Mm-hmm. But as it's so, it's kind of interesting here. You say kind of the un. Um, <sighs> Kind of the unbiblical, unfaith, unworldview of your area, and Barna, or I think it was Barna, uh, the the leader, the the lead pastor for our church. He had he got a call from them, and they were like, "Hey, your area has been like kind of dubbed the top, like worldview have the strongest Christian worldview in the entire country." And he's like, "What area?" And they're like, "Like northeast Tennessee." And he's like, "You're crazy." I mean, because he's looking at it a lot like, you know, like I think you would and like we do is just like, we're not seeing people live out the gospel. We're seeing people show up to church. We're seeing people talk about this, you know, my mama went to church and her mama went to church and her mama went to church type thing. But we're not seeing people transformed by by the scriptures. We're not seeing them be obedient to what God's called. But just because we have this cultural Christianity, like our area is seen as very different than what your area would even want to be seen. So that's kind of an interesting kind of difference in our spaces.
0: Yeah, I think a, a little context for you, Ben, is within a 30-minute radius of where we're sitting right now, there are over 750 churches. Uh, so we are—we yeah. have true. more churches than most places have 7-Elevens, and uh, it, is, yeah. it is oversaturated here with churches, but yet most of—I don't know that you could say oversaturated because I don't think you can ever have— too many churches, but I think it's, it's what Robert was saying is that it's, it's part of the culture here, but not part of the heart Mm -hmm. of our area. Um, so why do you, is there anything that you guys can point to, to contribute to those statistics that you, that you pointed out? Why is the new England area so unchurched?
2: I'm sure there are people who could answer that question really well. Uh, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not sure. I don't know uh, the demographic history that makes it uh, post-Christian here. Um, yeah, no. I mean, obviously, New England has a really rich spiritual heritage, heritage right? With uh, the the Great Awakenings coming through here. We've got Whitfield uh, buried a little bit south of here. We got Jonathan Edwards's churches not too, too far in western Massachusetts and in Massachusetts as a whole. Um, but why it is the way it is today, that would be a wonderful thing to look into. Maybe that can be your next guest.
0: Is there a concentrated effort to start more churches in the area?
2: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I love being in a place like this because growing up in West Houston like I did, um, I grew up in that kind of Christian uh, culture as well, and there's a lot of good about that. I've always kind of chafed against the idea that yeah, everybody in the South is Christian and nice, but they're all fake. Like, no, that's, that's not true. You know, there's, yeah. there's genuine people with genuine faith in the South, same in the North. It's just, it's easy to make those stereotypes. Uh, but what I love about being in a post-Christian culture and doing ministry in a post-Christian culture uh, is that there's less fighting for market share. Uh, people aren't looking for the church that's got the best ministries because they're not looking for churches. And so because of mm-hmm. that, what that means is that other churches in our area— who are faithful to the gospel, who are preaching it faithfully, or seeking to live a life shaped by it—we're um, brothers, right? We can have our arms around each other, pray for each other's growth. Because frankly, uh, there's not there's not there's not just tons of people cycling looking for good churches. There's always going to be some people who check out different churches and all that. But um, the the fields are white for the harvest, and we want them in it and we want to be in it, too. So I love that camaraderie of being in a post-Christian space in America. Um, In New England, there's a couple that I can identify. I I know that for small-town summits, it was started out of the Gospel Coalition New England. So we're definitely in that world of like the uh, reformed um, evangelical uh, mindset. And so there's a couple organizations that we uh, like to partner with. Um, But... I'll share just one for, as an example. Um, when it comes to church planting, uh, a couple of the guys who started Small Town Summits and who have been involved in Small Town Summits started another organization a few years ago uh, called the Village Green Collective. Now, I don't know if you could put that in the, in the show notes, but the Village Green Collective is basically small uh, churches in rural New England planting churches in small towns in New England together. It's something like that, uh, their, their mission statement. And basically, it's like, hey, none of us can afford from our budgets to fund a church planter. (laughs) But if like six of our churches together form relationship and pool our resources to plant churches and look for other churches outside of New England to to help partner with us and that works, the funding of it, uh, we can plant churches. And so they started uh, meeting together regularly, praying weekly together as brothers and trying to pool those resources just uh, two years ago, I believe. And they planted their first church on Easter Sunday this year.
0: Wow! That's and so awesome. it's
2: just amazing. It, it, it's just amazing to see faithful brothers prayerfully uh, pursuing obedience when resources are slim, camaraderie is slim. So they're they're finding it and they're fighting for it. So I'm thankful for that one example.
0: Ben, could you give us that that name again and how people could get in contact if we had a, a listener that was a part of a small church, maybe somewhere completely different, other side of the country, uh, but they said, you know, we would love to get involved in, in some way, big or small, in helping with new church work yeah. in the New England area. Absolutely, yeah. It's called the
2: Village Green Collective, um, so villagegreencollective.com small-town New England churches planting small-town New England churches together. And so, uh, yeah, if you get on there, you should be able to get in touch with them, but I can just uh, vouch through relationship. These are some quality guys, and they're the guys that are also, for the most part, they're the same guys that are involved in small-town summits
0: as well. That's great. I love that. Ben, what are some of the—we have a lot of listeners who are uh, in rural settings— What have you seen being a a pastor in a rural setting and working through your small town summits work with uh, numerous pastors in those settings? What have you seen that are some of the challenges that are unique just to churches in rural settings? Just, just to churches in rural settings.
2: um, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of these will overlap, that if people are in bigger churches and they hear me say this, they'll think, oh yeah, that's, that's us too um but certainly um pastoral isolation is always hard it's hard in big churches too i'm sure, sure just yeah. in different ways um in small churches specifically i do think or in small places uh, as well it's pretty easy to have this sense of insignificance uh this idea that bigger and better things are happening in bigger and better places <laughs> and uh if god was going to use me in big ways then maybe he would have me in a bigger and better place and even if we know um, that that's not true, it's easy to believe that. Sure. Uh, subconsciously. Um, and I think that in, in, uh, there is this kind of history of small churches in small places. And, you know, most churches in small places are small churches, at least uh, in New England. Um, that churches like mine get used as an on-ramp for ministry, for new guys coming out of seminary, or an off-ramp to, to retirement, uh, for guys after a long, hard career, and they just want to coast into the finish line. And obviously that's not everybody, but that can be a temptation. Um, and really neither of those dignify the real people and the real souls uh, who are here. Um, and so the small town summits, like our, our message is that a life spent pastoring a town of 30 people in a town of 300 is worth it, right? <laughs> to revalue that kind of work and say like, Jesus died for these people. We don't only want to see you reach, uh, you know, grow as a church. We want to see you reach the people in your town. And I just remember our first, uh, our first ever summit, there was a guy who stood up and he, he gave those numbers. He said, uh, I pastor a church of 30 people in a town of 300, and I have a better percentage than any of you guys. And it was, <laughs> he
1: was I love uh, that. That's awesome.
2: But, um, yeah, but I mean, the, I, if you here's just a way to think about it. If people are coming out of seminary and and we send our best and our brightest to the mission field, like to, to the Middle East, uh, maybe we we celebrate that as an amazing sacrifice for the gospel and we we cheer that. But in a in a way, what we do is when we see our best and brightest go to small towns and spend the next fifty years pastoring fifty people, we we do, do we think of it as a waste? Hmm. Uh, because I think we can be tempted to. And if Like, okay, my mentor, the guy who started Small Town Summits, uh, Stephen Whitmer, um, he has a PhD from Cambridge, and then, now he's pastoring in a, a town of 10,000. Like, couldn't you use your giftings, your skills better if you were in a bigger place where you could influence more people? Um, we are pro-big places. We love seeing churches planted in cities, but um, these places matter, too, and they're, they're worth a lifetime.
0: Yeah, we've, we've talked about that a lot on this show, that mm-hmm. I get the opportunity to sit down with a lot of guys who are just coming out of or getting ready to graduate from Bible College and Seminary and helping them figure mm-hmm. out what's next for their life. And I, I couldn't tell you the amount of times where I say, all right, what's, what's your dream situation? And I don't know. I don't know that in the last five years that I've had a single person say, man, I would love to get a job as the, the lead pastor at a small church in such and such town. It's always, well, I would love to get on as an associate pastor at a mega church in a large city. And uh, and then in two to three years, start my own church uh, with their support. And, and just had this conversation with a, a young guy the other day that just graduated from seminary. And I said, I wanna strongly, strongly encourage you that some of the most fruitful ministry you can have is at a smaller church Um, it would would you at least be open to that we have three churches right now that we're currently trying Mm -hmm. to help fill positions for at these churches and we can't find people that want to take these responsibilities unless uh, what we're seeing here in our area is that it's a great place that people love to come and retire and and take the mm-hmm. off-ramp as you were saying having a really difficult time finding those that want to get on the on-ramp uh, to use your analogy yeah. that there they seem to think that the only valuable ministry is in larger churches and it's just simply not yeah. true. I heard a stat the other day that that I'm probably gonna butcher the stat <laughs> so don't don't quote me on this. But it said something along the lines of, in 1980, in the United States, there were less than 100 churches that had over a 1,000 people. In 2020, there were over 100,000 churches that had over, over that number of people. That, that the shift has become that we think mm-hmm. that your church has to be large to be influential. And, and really, you look throughout Scripture, we don't see that. You, you look throughout the course of history, except for the last 30 years, and you just don't see that. Uh, I, I love Matthew mm-hmm. 9, you know, that says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Um, ask to be sent mm-hmm. into the harvest, uh, to send out his workers into the harvest mm-hmm. field. And uh, Ben, I'm, I'm wondering, do you have any pulse on, on why it's so difficult to get people to want to go to a smaller church in a smaller community?
2: Um, you know, I think there is, I have two thoughts. Uh, the first one is just realistic, and the second one is maybe overly pessimistic. So I'll start with the the realistic one. Um, it's really hard to be in small places. I have a wife and two young kids, and in a rural New England town, my wife really doesn't have uh, Christian friends, right? Like, it's just uh, my my kids... Okay, how about this? Uh, the kids in my church, in the high school, do not know another Christian in their grade. Hmm. Full, wow. full, full stop, right? Like, there's not a single other Christian in their grade. That's true for all of them. Um, and so there's a sacrifice of saying, I'm going to bring my family to a place where my wife will have no Christian friends. She'll have other, you know, age-mate people, same-life phase. And there is, like, another... Two or three young Christian families in our church, but they live a couple towns over, and they come because you know to our church. So hard to cross pollinate with them. Hard to go on mission with them in, in our town. We love them; they're great, but you know it's 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 a sacrifice.
0: Yeah, Robert's and, kids uh, are the yeah, exact man. same way. Now his are homeschooled, yeah. but they're the exact same. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they have nobody, nobody else in them. your class. No band. they Nobody, in the nobody else in their class is mm-hmm. a Christian.
2: But that's that's what you're buying into uh, to do ministry in in rural New England, at least. And then, you know, the overly pessimistic one, um, and, I, and I say this because I do feel it myself in my own sin nature. Like I, I want to be successful. I want to be known. I want glory, <laughs> right? Like that is uh, the sin nature in me. And so, you don't come here for glory. Uh, you don't come to these small places and spend 50 years and then die, uh, and then expect that anyone's going to know your name after you're dead. Um, but you're going to shape some hearts. You're going to point them to the One who matters. Yeah, uh, your life is going to be poured out as a drink offering before the Lord, which is exactly what we're called to. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I say that pessimistically, but I also say that honestly in myself. That desire is there, and it's something to be to be prayed prayed against
1: and that's a and that's a really tough situation because i mean i i kind of sit with that and I, I grew up in a couple of small towns i grew up in alabama and then right before um, right before high school my parents moved to a small town in Virginia and the town in Alabama still has less than a thousand people in that entire town and like we had to drive to uh, the next town over to go to school even in the 80s mm-hmm. because the schools had shut yeah. down in that town there was Shorty's, you know grocery gas fish and tackle that was the only store in the entire town and so like I understand this rhythm of of life and and this, this concept and this idea. And, and like you said, it's not glamorous and it's not something that feels that way. But the thing that I've found is, you know, almost an almost 50 year old, that's sitting in ministry in a small town with people that are, you know, my peers that like everybody in the church has, you know, everybody has my cell number. Like when I've been at a couple of churches that were the thousand, 1500, 2000 people and, and it's a ton of fun, but like seven people know you and you're just constantly just, you're working with about seven people who then do the ministry for everyone else that's in the church. And so you have a few relationships, but you're still pretty disconnected. But in this space, everyone knows me. Your cell phone number goes up on the screen every week. I mean, everybody knows who you are and you hang out and you talk and you find this whole like space of really being able to genuinely sit and make disciples. What I love about that matter Matthew nine passage you mentioned a minute ago, it says that Jesus saw them and they were helpless and harassed. And, and like, Mm -hmm. we just don't see people the way Jesus sees people so many times. And if we did, our location would mean a lot less than our mission. Um, And I think that's the thing for me that's changed in the last five years. Um, As Melissa and I led a, a home gathering for a couple of years right before COVID. And as we've moved back into ministry vocationally, the God's helped us to yeah. see that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard Tim Keller talking on a podcast once. He said something to the effect of every city should have one mega church, a few mid-sized churches, and tons of little churches. Yeah. Um, that's not the exact quote. But I really appreciated that because this idea that mega churches have something to offer broader communities that smaller churches can't offer. Like we're never gonna be able to employ a counseling counselors to start a council like a christian counseling center you know that's just that's outside of our our um resources um but but one of the questions that small towns or steven uh has helped us think about is okay well what can small world churches do that mega churches can't identify those things and don't begrudge that those are what you're stuck with right be faithful with those and, and wield those sword that sword well um you know, part of me thinks like, Oh man, it would be it'd be really hard if there was a mega church around here. But actually, uh, a mega church would be a blessing in this area in a way that we couldn't bless this area. Yeah. So
1: that's an interesting that
2: diversity. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. The diversity, what were you gonna say? Yeah, go ahead well I was just I was at a, at a Charles Simeon preaching seminar a few a uh, few months ago and one of the uh, leaders there is in a pretty big city and um, and so he and I were talking kind of privately and he was talking about a couple of mega churches in his area and he's like you know here I, you know I'm a reformed you know Presbyterian pastor and he's like and you know and I don't necessarily agree with the teaching styles and the methodology and the beliefs of these churches but we have so many people in our church that came to uh, that came to us and have started to grow in their faith in things because they had an on ramp to faith with something that I couldn't do, that I couldn't be a part of, mm-hmm. and so these mega churches provided an on ramp to some spiritual conversations that people weren't just going to show up and sit in my church and listen to me preach, but they would come to something that that church could do because of their resources and their width. That's a great statement, Ben, that I hadn't really. Put together that way until you kind of mention that that's a really good thought
0: yeah, and I want to dive into that a minute with you. you, you said know, that that Stephen asked the question, what are the unique benefits of a small church what what are so what are some of those yeah. that you guys have come up with
2: yeah um well I, maybe I should use this chance just to point towards that big gospel and small ch- uh places book yeah, I've and, already saved that
1: to my um, amazon cart so uh <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: honestly the like the whole ethos of what we're trying to do with small town summits the the philosophy behind what we're doing we might say the theological vision for ministry in small places uh, really has been developed in that book um, so we're, we're really trying to put legs to that philosophy that that might be one way to think about what small time uh, small town summits does I think I Freudian slipped small small time ministry uh, small town ministry but <laughs> um, all right. So, unique uh, strengths you were saying of small churches. Yeah. You you said yeah. that
0: you said that Stephen uh, asked the question when he was when you guys yeah. were, were doing the small town summits. Uh, how can what are the unique benefits that a small church has over a large church?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. There are things that you guys, I mean, these are all things that you guys have talked about on this podcast, because I think a small church in a small place has the same strengths and weaknesses as a small church in a big place, uh, for the most part, right? Sure. Uh, I, as a pastor, know the name of every person in my church and all their kids. That's a huge blessing, right? Because it means that the elders know what we can be praying for, what we can be pushing into. We've almost taken small churches as a, um, as just an understood reality of ministry in small places, <laughs> You
0: know,
2: um, but I think it's that communal, that familial nature of small churches, the way that you can't go there and be anonymous, uh, the way that, um, uh, yeah, your church is able to more easily flex and change with the times you're able, or the needs of your community, uh, you're able to make do with a smaller budget. So easier to, easier to keep the plane in the air.
0: Um, but
2: yeah, I'm sure those are a few. I'm sure
0: you guys have a few more as well. Yeah, I love that. Uh, when I think of rural ministry, being someone who, yeah. who grew up in a large city, just when you say, uh, you know, in our in our pre-recording <coughs> meeting, you talked about how you really wanted to talk about rural ministry. You thought that that was your sweet spot. When yeah. I think rural ministry, coming from where I came from and where I live now, I think of a, a small church that's in the middle of nowhere with nothing but farmland all around it. And I've actually visited a few of those churches and, uh, preached at a few of those churches. No, I have some dear friends who serve at, at some of those churches. what, yeah. what would you say when you say rural ministry, what comes to mind for you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, uh, you know, in, in, I know in New England, uh, your town is a big part of your identity. Right. Um, this is, and so when you think about rural ministry and what like the strengths of weaknesses and serving in a place like that, um, I've been really helped by something Donnie Griggs, you know, Donnie Griggs, he wrote small town Jesus. He wrote another bo- oh. uh, book, recently with Martin, uh, on pastoring small towns. Um, anyway, he wrote an article back in, I think, 2016, 2017, uh, where he's talking about small town ministry or rural ministry, and he talks about it as a fishbowl, and uh, and he means that in a good way and a bad way, right? That if your town is like a fishbowl in a bad way, if you're a hypocrite, like if you're just act, acting like a punk, like every everybody's gonna know. But in a good way, if you if your church and your people are magnifying Christ, everyone's gonna know, right? And so it does create this unique opportunity. To show the the goodness of the gospel, not just the truth of the gospel, but the goodness and the beauty of the gospel is able to echo through your community more visibly um, because of that fishbowl nature of it. Um, And so I'm thinking about my my town. Um, You know, just you have several run ins with the same people over and over again, Uh, and it goes from meeting to knowing and then to drawing them into your uh, community. Um, I think that in larger places, you have to be a regular somewhere to have ongoing relationship with people, right? Like to go to the same diner every Thursday morning yeah, to, yeah. to know the way go to the same coffee shop every day in small towns. You don't have to do that in small places. You don't have to do that. You're going to have those regular run-ins with everyone just by nature of being in the community. Um, so I'll give just a random example here. Uh, there's a lady in our town, uh, who works at the McDonald's. Our town has a McDonald's. So that makes our town a pretty big Big Pretty town big here, uh huh. So she works at the uh, at the McDonald's, and then you know I was with my kids for the annual Christmas tree lighting thing in town, and I was in town hall, and she was standing behind me in that line. Um, the other, like last year, I was driving to church, and I saw her shoveling a driveway on my way to church. I'm like, oh, that lady lives there uh you know and then and then i found out later that she's a grandma to some of the kids one of the families that comes to our church and so living in a town like this i wasn't seeking out that lady and there's thousands of examples of that same type of uh well you 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 slowly build a composite knowledge of people mm. just as you live around them and the thing is that as you do that they're doing the same thing to you <laughs> And so that is an amazing, it's scary, but it's also an amazing opportunity because if I'm magnifying Christ, they're going to know Christ or they're going to see Christ in me. So that by the time we get to the point that I get to actually speak and actually ask questions about what they believe, well, first they already know I'm a pastor (laughs) by then. They already know what I believe, but, um, but I'm not an unknown quantity. I'm not that uh, so you live around here. It's like, actually, I know you live around here. I know your shopping habits because I see you at the grocery store <laughs> every Friday afternoon. Um, and that is a huge strength of, of small town ministry. Um, and actually, one more factor of that, it means that if anyone in our town is invited to our church, they're already going to have relationships with three or four other people in our church. Hmm. And it's small enough that people already, they're going to see that they walked in the door. You know, so it makes mission as a community easier. I the love pace, that. The, the path is paved and uh, the composite knowledge has been gained by everyone for better or for worse. And then we uh, we all we're in the same place and we get to team up together.
0: I love that. We're gonna take a little break from this conversation mm-hmm. to switch gears a little bit, then we're gonna come back and revisit some of this in a minute. But uh, we've got a headline, an article that, that has been very prevalent to what we've been facing here and been what you face all of your life there. Uh, so we're gonna dive into headline news. <music> It's time for Headline News, where Bruce, Robert, and Tony search the world over for the top headlines relevant to the Small Church Podcast, and then talk about it. And now, Headline News. So Robert, the the article that, that we want to talk about a little bit today is... This, this story that I've seen a couple of different places, that there are several churches that, as our country, most parts of our country have been slammed the past couple of weeks with these record low temperatures, uh, dangerously low temperatures, that a lot of churches have opened up their doors as a resource place for people that... Don't have heat, don't have a place to stay to come in and be warm, be fed. Really, doing what they can to to help their neighbor, which I don't know seems maybe a little biblical, and yet they're they're finding themselves in trouble. They're they're either seeing extravagant expenses for doing this, uh, just the the sheer cost of the magnitude of feeding people, the the power for keep, keeping people warm, but then some of the articles that we've seen there are some churches that are actually Facing legal issues because of what they're doing that. A couple of churches have been fined daily fines, uh, crazy, ridiculous amounts of of daily fines. Uh, One church was, First Baptist Church in Illinois, was fined $750 a day continuously for operating a shelter that wasn't zoned. Their church was not zoned for a shelter. So $750 a day for that. Uh, Another church in Ohio called Dad's Church, which I think is maybe the coolest name of a church that I've ever heard, (laughs) Dad's Church in Ohio, the pastor is having to go to court facing criminal charges for bringing people in to their church and housing them and giving them a place to sleep and a place to eat. Ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the struggle for me is... Like I, I mean, I've I've driven around and just thinking, and and we work with some organizations that help families um, during these types and, and individuals and families in these in these times when you know the temperatures at single to below zero, you know, temperature, and then the wind chills taking it even lower. Um, and you know, there's days I walk out to my van or and or go to you know to go somewhere, just being outside for five minutes, and I'm going, this is miserable, and. And then I start to think, man, these organizations that are doing this—what's there? And and for the church to get so much flack at times for not stepping up, and then when the church does, it gets in trouble. I, I, it's it's funny to me. I, I you know I wish I knew more. I wish I knew if these churches just pay the fine every day and just keep paying it and keep letting people stay warm, or they'd be like, "Sorry, guys, the town wants you out." Well, I was
0: out at your church yesterday, <laughs> and you were you were showing me around, giving me the the tour, and you showed me that when you guys designed your space, you have an area in the back. You're in a unique location that you're right off of the Appalachian Trail. Uh, And for our listeners in other parts of the country, please say Appalachian. It is not Appalachian. Uh, It is the Appalachian Trail. Ben, uh, maybe you're learning something right now. It is Appalachian, not Appalachian. I'm staying out of this one. (laughs) We are, we are about 30, 45 minutes from Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Yep. And uh, you go there and say Appalachian, you may not come back. And, but so you are, you are right off of the Appalachian Trail, right off of the AT. And you guys have a great ministry where hikers can come in, through hikers can come in off of the AT they can come in and get something to eat. You have showers available for them to come and get cleaned up. You could likely be facing fines because you don't have a hospitality license with your church according to what we're seeing with some of these places here.
1: Yeah, it's Probably not going to happen in northeast Tennessee, at least where I'm at. But um, I mean, for the most part, we all kind of rally together pretty well. But I, th- I do, you know, it's tough. And, and I think that's one of the things that you talk about—the beauty of small towns—is that when a lot of people would face scrutiny and face trouble, we're just going. This is just another day. I mean, when somebody's facing adversity, when things are hard. I mean, it, it's, you know, the the library had a leak and, and like the town is rallying around them because it ruined a bunch of books and a bunch of stuff happened and, and they're trying to get that fixed and, you know, everything in a small town runs on a tight budget. And so for us, we wouldn't face that challenge. Um, I don't know. I guess there's somebody who could make things complicated. But for the most part, everybody just wants to work together when it's in that space. I mean, if we were out trying to, set up a tent revival in the middle of town we might face a little bit of adversity but i think when you're just trying to do good and trying to care for people but um but yeah i mean i guess we could i mean i guess i mean i shouldn't say never but um i guess we could but yeah we have we we designed the space intentionally we're downtown um i mean it's like i said we're right off main street we've got a bakery in our church that people come to and hang out all the time um we've got these showers and washer and dryer that are set up that people can wash some clothes and do some things. We're literally right next door to an outdoor store that has all this, all the hiking stuff and things. There's been bikes that are donated that are at, um, uncle johnny's or something that's right i just went blank right off right next to the trail there's bikes people can call and people will come pick them up and drive them down or they can ride a bike into town and those bikes are donated up there and they just borrow them they leave them and somebody comes and picks them up and takes them back up there so like the town has set this up to where we can serve this community and i also know there's organizations that are working to serve and help with um the homeless and and those that are kind of facing some harder times in the cold but again, I think that's the perk of a small town.
0: Yeah, I think I just think it's interesting the the dynamics that we see here that it was a few mm-hmm. years ago that Joel Osteen's church and we're not going to get into all of that. but Joel Osteen's church came under huge fire because Houston was your hometown, Ben, was experiencing, mm-hmm. you know huge, huge issues and they wouldn't open up their church to let people come in and have a place to stay. Uh, and uh, huge scrutiny for that. And then you flip the the script to now that churches are getting in trouble for doing the thing. So it's almost like you can't win either way.
1: Yeah, I I mean, and again, I I don't know all the answers to that. This is, I mean... I guess I like being made aware of things. Um, this is a tough article, and and I don't know Ben. You can speak to that. Speak to that small town life as well. I mean, you guys have such cold temperatures. I don't know what the homeless population is in New Hampshire, but
2: I'm not actually sure what the homeless population is either. I'm not a lot allowed, allowed out here, at least. Um, at least I don't see them if they're here. Um, and I mean, the thing is, every every situation has to be so different because you're absolutely right. The fact that Um, there's times when, or the fact that people would get upset with the church for doing a good thing, I just have to believe there's actually another, there's other factors going on here. And who knows, every situation is going to be different. And yet if there's a church who's able to pay $750 fines, maybe they could come up with other solutions, (laughs) you know, when it comes to getting hotel rooms or rent, getting a facility in some other part of the town where they could do something like this for a period of time, or Getting a hospitality license. I mean, the reality is, like, we are under our government, and that's on—you know—that's that's a good thing much of the time. But in times when it's not, I mean, I think it's honoring to Christ for us to figure out the best way to please everybody without being dishonest and disobedient to Christ. Um, the other great strength of the church is that we have people who have houses. <laughs> so if we were really going to put our skin in the game. Oh, why don't we as individuals take people into our houses, right? It's like this could open up the church to push into so many other ways to do this. And this is coming from somebody who's pastoring a church that's been around 17 years and still doesn't have a building. So um, we're, we're used to operating without, without buildings, but um, uh, yeah, I just think every situation, every government that's having a problem with that's what's happening at this church or that there has to be a way forward for them because they don't want people on the streets either
1: yeah no that's a really i mean there's a really good thought there and i think that balance so many times of how do we how do we kind of align and and what's the what's the best thing to do what's the right thing to do and, and i get that tension and i i'm and, and I'm thankful there is a tension of people wanting to do the right thing. Um, it It's, um, yeah, like I said, in a small town, I don't really have to to deal with a lot of those stresses that these guys, you know, you start getting in big cities in Ohio and things like that. I mean, um, I don't remember off the top of my head where dad's church uh, was. But, um, you know, those those types of things, sometimes bigger cities, um, maybe a touch less gospel centered to kind of lean back into, you know, some words that we were using early on there to kind of describe this. I think it's easy for them to get like, Hey, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. And, and, and sometimes I think maybe the communities can feel like the church is trying to make them look bad. Um, by the church stepping up, they make the town look bad and, and there are infrastructures and there's a lot. I learned a lot about that when I was working at the Y the men and women who lead our communities, especially small communities. I mean, they're fighting every day for, for dollars and doing things and trying to do this stuff and so um while i think it's a little bit crazy that people catch a bad rap for trying to do good um Mm -hmm. yeah it's a hard space and i don't know that i understand the alternative i don't know that i understand the other side because i've never been in a big city where i've had to make decisions like that Mm
0: -hmm. and i've experienced you know the the going for to the city commission because you want to build a space and, and the neighborhood is fighting that. And, and I've, I've sat in many of those meetings. Uh, and so those I can understand we had, uh, with one of the churches that I started, we were, we had these big plans to do ballparks and all these things that we going we thought were going to benefit the community, but then the community, came out and said, no, we don't want lights shining into our backyard at at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, we don't want the noise that's going to come from that, where apprehensive about this church coming in and bringing all these people in and sitting and listening to those people. Like, you know, I, I can understand where you're coming from Coming from, and so we altered some of our site plans for things that we're going to do. But when it comes to specifically mm-hmm. trying to be the body of Christ and help out people in need, uh, I, I don't really understand, especially if it's something that the one church in Ohio, they have a shelter right next door to their church and the Mm -hmm. shelter was full. So they were simply just saying, we're partnering with the shelter. We'll use their license if that's what you're wanting. We're just an overflow for them. And yet their pastor Mm -hmm. was having to go to court to face criminal charges uh, for operating without the correct zoning permits
1: now i get it I, I totally do and um and it can be weird i've got a friend who was trying to build soccer fields uh, to do and it was close to farms and apparently the lights that were used at soccer fields would make the cattle less fertile and so they That's a got a problem in they, rural america it is a problem in rural america it really is and <laughs> i mean i've got uncles who are cattle farmers i mean my granddad was a dairy farmer i grew up when we moved to virginia i grew up throwing hay and and, you know, and helping, you know, work with cows and goats and all those things. I mean, that was my summer job. That was my life. And and so I I understand all that, and that would be bad. But, you know, it's just funny. Sometimes things that I wouldn't know that lighting causes cows to be less fertile. And so it, it when that causes a problem, I guess, you know, you go, oh, I didn't know that. So you move on. But, yeah, this feels a little bit different than, than
2: it's a whole fertility. New thing. Yeah, to love your neighbor. Yeah. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. All right, so with that, we're going to jump back on. That's all we got for you for Headline News today. And that was Headline News. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And may God have mercy on your soul.
1: Headline news.
0: All right, Ben. Let's take a few minutes and just segue right into something completely right. different. Let's, let's take get out a few of minutes ben. and tell us a little bit about Small Town Summits. What your your work is there? What you guys are doing? Uh, what you're accomplishing and trying to accomplish with Small Town Summits? Yeah. So you know, the official mission goals of Small Town Summits is to see the
2: small places of New, small places of New England filled with gospel centered, community engaged churches and Christian workers uh, for the glory of God. And, um, I think that one way that we often talk about it is that we want to see Jesus magnified in the nooks and crannies of our region. Um, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover new England as the waters cover the sea. Um, so, because when it started, when small town summit started, like I said, it really did start out of the gospel coalition, new England, uh, because TGCNE was really focusing on the greater Boston area, but the vast majority of, New England is outside of the greater Boston area. And so what, what about the rest of the rest of these places? And I looked it up once. I think New England is about 87% rural, just land, land wise. Um, and, you know, if Jesus cares for those places and people in those places, what's, what's the plan? And so um, what we know is that we can't be the answer to that plan. There already is an answer to that plan. His name is Jesus. And so, he, Jesus, has churches, his people, already in those places. So all we have to do is encourage and equip and resource uh, the people who are in those places to continue in the faithful work they're doing. Uh, because one of the great joys for me as uh, serving in this role has been to meet faithful brothers all over our region who are really, really killing it. And uh, they're people that, you know, none of us will have ever heard of if we didn't meet them in a small town gathering somewhere. So really thankful that for the chance to see what God's doing in these little invisible ways. Love
0: that. What resources yeah. and kind of support do you offer to the churches that are a part of small town summits?
2: Yeah. So we, we do three main, well, I guess you could say there's three main areas of our ministry, uh, summits, trainings and resources and re- resources meaning written and audio uh, so summits, uh, are it's really the bread and butter of our ministry. It's what we did from the beginning, small, local, regional gatherings in small places led by small uh, people serving in small places. So we're not flying people in. Uh, we're using local pastors uh, to do the, the speaking, the local people to do the breakout sessions, things like that. And at this point, and God's been so good, I, I can't even begin to tell you, but Um, at this point we're doing one summit in each state each year. Uh, And the only way that's possible is because God's connected us with faithful brothers in all six new England States. We've been able to form relationships with those guys and they've, uh, they've basically been the engine running this forward into each of those States, uh, finding places, connecting with people, getting the word out, things like that. So last year, um, between all of our summits, we had about 425 people at our summits. And that's, that's great for us, you know, to small local regional gatherings. We're not looking for 425 in one gathering. <laughs> because in these smaller gatherings, I remember my first summit um, meeting people and realizing, oh, I didn't know that you were close by. You know, I didn't know that you were like-minded. And so relationships form in between members. Um, that if you were to come to one of these events, um, it, it wouldn't feel like a typical um, conference because what we do is we actually have introductions at the beginning where every single person stands up and introduces themselves. And uh, we also have discussion as an entire group of 50 to 60 uh, after each plenary talk. And so we, re- we call them summits because a summit is a gathering of leaders. And so um, having this mentality that... Uh, who, who's the experts on small town ministry? Well, it's not just us. It's everyone doing ministry here. We want to hear from each other and, and learn from each other as long as we can maintain like a, a healthy structure and um, theological boundaries for actually what's being taught in those places. So um, that's been really sweet. Love that. Um, our trainings. Uh, we, we did a one, we did a women's Bible training for the first time in 2019, I believe. And those have been so, so sweet. We, uh, we've had, we're coming up on our third or fourth, our fourth here. And um, those are half day events where we're trying to not only, you know, equip the leaders, which summits are more focused on, but really equip the hands of the saints to continue the work in small places. Because the reality is in small churches in small places are almost always single pastor stat, uh, single pastor churches. And in single-pastor churches, two things are true. Number one, they need more help to carry on the fruitful work that God is doing, to equip every member in their churches, and they don't have the capacity to do all the equipping on their own. And so if we can come in and offer some kind of equipping to, in this situation, raise up women's ministry leaders who are able to rightly handle the Word of God, we, we want to help in that way. Uh, another training we do is a one-to-one word-driven discipleship training. Uh, where we try to put a tool in everyone's pockets where they can, uh, if they see anyone who's not a believer and is curious about the things of Christ or uh, who is an immature believer and need help growing, taking the, the next step in their faith, they're able to open the word of God with them and help them take a few steps forward to do intentional spiritual good for other people. So that's the, the vision of that one. And then as far as our resources and podcasts, we uh, put out an article every month on the first of the month on our website. Uh, A friend, Tim Counts, does all the editing for those. And then uh, we have a podcast that we put out. Uh, We're in our fifth season right now. And uh, we have about 10, 15 episodes per season. And those are all interviews and audio versions of our articles. And so just ways that we can help get that out. And I'll say one more thing, just because most of the people hearing this aren't going to be in New England. Uh, what we have done in the past is we've helped other people in other places who've seen what we're doing replicate and do something similar in their places. Uh, we're not looking. Um, we're not trying to start a national ministry, but if there are people who want to do something similar in Northern California or, uh, you know, Wisconsin or whatever, um, we have uh, some material that we can share, and we'd love to even walk with you to figure out what it looks like to replicate and do something similar in your own place. If you have a heart for something like that. And so if you're hearing this and you want to reach out to me, we can put the email in the, in the show notes as well, but it's just smalltownsummits at gmail.com. That'll go uh, straight to me. So smalltownsummits at gmail.com.
0: And one of the things I want to ask you is when we first started our organization, our our parachurch ministry here in 2006, Mm -hmm. Uh, there were a lot of networking groups that we were able to help facilitate to start. Then there were mm-hmm. <clears throat> there were numerous numerous groups of local pastors that would get together weekly for a time of prayer, uh, just a time of getting together with mm-hmm. with someone who <clears throat> could understand your world. What we've seen yeah. over the course of the last maybe five to ten years is. Almost all of those have vanished uh, that mm, really? uh, we used to do a lot of one day training mm-hmm. seminars, conferences here locally that were free uh, that we would offer. And and for years, those were very well attended. But then uh, the 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 attendance just started getting fewer and fewer and fewer. And then to, to where we saw that we would have sometimes just two or three people show up for them, And, and uh, we finally decided, as, as we would talk to guys, why aren't you coming? Why aren't you engaging in this? Over and over we heard, because I'm busy and everything that I could want to learn, I can find online. I can sit down and do a mm. seminar online. So you you just mentioned that you've got 50, 60 small town pastors that are coming together for your summits. What's the mm. the magic juice? What's the... <laughs> the the secret sauce that, that you guys are doing that is getting these guys to see the value in community, to see the value in coming together face to face and not sitting in their behind their desk or, or on their couch at their computer to come out and be a part of these, these events that you guys are putting on.
2: Well, I don't know. Um, I have two, two thoughts though. Um, one is I, I really do think the ethos of our summits is explicitly focused on Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, I think because we come out of the Gospel Coalition New England, people know uh, theologically the angle we're coming from. We tend to typically, therefore, have people come to our events who are generally in that ballpark of ministry philosophy and, and theology. And so we, um, we really we push into that and i think that the guys who are already looking for something like that come and they they get that gospel centered ministry focus and theological vision um, but the other thing that's different between where we are and where you are is that no one else is doing this no one else is doing trainings or helping pastors who are living 3 hours north of bangor <laughs> you know like like we did a, a summit in Uh, gosh, it was like an hour west of Holton, Maine. So like, um, there's no other way to describe it that people would know outside of Maine. It's middle of nowhere. And, um, we had 65, 70 people there and we actually had the pastor of that church drive like eight to 10 hours to come to the one in, not that far, maybe like seven, seven, eight, somewhere in there to come to the one in New Hampshire just to see like, what is this that's happening and coming to our church? Because nobody's ever done an event in our town before, you know? So I do think there's a, there's this idea that like, wait, they're coming to us. People don't come to us. People ask us to go to Boston. That's how things work. And so if we're saying we're going to you to value where you are, to value the work you're doing in your places, I think that's the thing that gets people to say like, oh man, okay. That's, this is unique. This is different. Um, and, you know, we've done things online as well, especially during the pandemic, but, um, you know, uh, attendance to those type things are, you know, average, <laughs> you know, I think, I think everybody was a little zoomed out by then anyway. Um, so yeah, in person really is the, uh, I think the bread and butter of what we will continue to do
0: moving forward. It's great. I love it. So people feel a sense of. I guess, value that you guys are willing to come to them rather than expecting them to come to yeah. you. Yeah. I love that. That's great.
2: Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. And it's, it's genuinely true that we are so thankful that they are giving their lives to living and ministering there um, that, Hey, we want to honor that too, <laughs> you know, to pay for a hotel room and drive eight hours round trip. Um, that's that's worth it.
0: So, yeah. It's been sweet. A couple things, we're running out of time, but a couple things I want to touch on really quick that, that really kind of tie into what you were just saying is that I know for a mm-hmm. lot of pastors in a rural setting, they can have this feeling, you actually touched on this a while ago, they can have this feeling that they're isolated, that they're all alone yeah. in what they're doing. How do pastors overcome that? Mm. How, how, let, let me even... Make yeah. That a little, a question: uh, How how do they overcome that on a daily or weekly basis? When you know the, the obvious answer is attend a small town summit, but like you said, you're going to each state mm-hmm. once a year. So so uh, yeah, right, right. How, how how can our listeners who are sitting there right now, sitting in a place where they look around yeah. them and they can't see another human, uh, out yeah. their church office window or out their their window of yeah. their their living room? How do they counter that, that feeling of just, I'm in this by myself. I'm the only one on staff at this church. How, how do I mm-hmm. break through that?
2: Right. I, have, I have five thoughts. You ready? Here's your number one. <laughs> we obviously, yes, our, our summits can't be the answer to that. And yet I think our summits are one way that people can connect with other like-minded brothers in their area. Right. And so it doesn't have to be a summit, but maybe there's another type of thing that, crossroads where you can meet people who are like-minded in your area. And that that's huge. Uh, all right. Number two, um, I do think there's something to be said about embracing the fact that God's calling you to put your life out there (laughs) and embrace the hardship that comes with it. Um, that the cost of ministry is high. It, I mean, read Bonhoeffer, right? Read, uh, read the cost of discipleship. He's calling us to come and die. Because there's something better to be had, right this costly grace. And so ministry is that is here I am, Lord, send me. It's not here I am, send me as long as I've got a few other people on staff right. that can give me that help. And so um, I think part of it is just believing what we knew to be true the day we signed on the dotted line to sign up for ministry, which is, I'm coming to die for Jesus, lay my life down for him, even if it's hard, to him be the glory. Um, so there is an element to that. Uh, third thought, um, I just wrote an article about this for on small town summits. Um, the article is, uh, was called something like an open letter from a pastor to his friend. Um, and the thing is, I think that there is some hesitation, some fear around having genuine friendships with people in our churches But that's, I I don't know, maybe this is just my personal opinion and my personal experience. Uh, I think that if we're not looking for genuine friendship with our congregants, we're doing both of us a disservice. (laughs) And of course, you know, those uh, congregants have to be humble, right? And not try to use you as a ladder to influence. They have to love you reciprocally. And sometimes, you know what, it's going to be more one directional. But at the same time, if they're not feeding your your uh, your desire for Christian brotherhood that is a problem. So pushing into those congregant relationships. Um, number four, I, I haven't found great community with uh, guys who are pastoring around me just because they're around me. I've pushed in more to the people who I know I'm like minded with that who, if I send a text or get a call them up, I know that we're on the same page and they're going to give me Jesus. So it's not just finding guys to meet with for that camaraderie, but finding guys who I know are going to give me Christ. Cause that's what I'm looking for, you know, in a, in a brother in ministry. And then last one, uh, just make sure you marry someone you love and marry someone who loves Jesus. Because I do think my wife, as far as my relational isolation, if I didn't have a wife who I was so thrilled about, um, you'd be a lot harder to be where I am. So those are five thoughts.
0: I love it. It's great. you have anything to add to that? No,
1: no, I, I think, man, I love, um, I love all of those and I feel, um, really, really fortunate that over the last few years that I have a space that functions like a small town summit, that God has kind of brought to the cost is high, has brought that to my attention. And I don't always do that well, but I'm trying to grow in that, Mm -hmm. that I have, um, I have people in, um, in, in my family, in my congregation in in my my house that we get to live life with, that care about me that I can be myself with, that I get to journey with that uh, that care about me looking more like Jesus, um, having pastors, mm. having pastors that care about yeah. Christ um, and making him the center of of kind of correction, encouragement, all those steps and all those things. And Melissa and I just uh, celebrated 25 years, like a week and a half ago. Really? And um, and like we literally, like our life is so much better together than it is apart. And that's right. what we say. So anyway, I love those things. And I don't know that, and I think Ben would say the same thing. I don't know if that's the definitive list. I don't know that it's the best list, but as a guy who serves in small ministry, I will tell you those five things, looking at those are things that bring peace to my heart. Um, that my personal journey with Jesus, with these five things encapsulated around them, helps me every stinking day, and I love it. So those are those are really good thoughts.
0: Good stuff. Well, guys, we are about out of time. We want to close out our show uh, a way that we we like to do almost every week, and that's with a little laugh, a <laughs> little fun. And so we are going to close things out with signs. Can you read the So our sign this week I was driving around town the other day braving the the cold and saw this one that I thought was was wonderful it made me chuckle it said we're not DQ, but we have great Sundays sign, sign, a
1: sign. Can't you read the sign? I just feel like with the internet that people could do better better, better than that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Again, I mean, everybody's, I mean, you know, we talk about like, there's, there's different comedy routines for a reason. Everybody doesn't love, you know, even inside of like Jeff Foxworthy, Bill Ingvall and Larry, the cable guy, like somebody likes each of those differently and you connect to them differently. Um, I mean, so, you know, there's different ice cream brands for a reason, different churches for a reason, but. So um, you would have,
0: you would have liked the sign if it said, we're not Baskin Robbins. (laughs) no I, I don't know i just you're feel just like, not a dq fan I, I
1: just oh no, i love a good blizzard man I, there's nothing wrong with that but uh the literal and physical medical metaphorical whatever i want real snow and i want dairy queen but uh, i don't know yeah i don't know that that was funny but i like i just like come on like really that's yeah
0: i'm disappointed I, in you <laughs> right now <laughs> The respect level has just gone down a little bit. That's,
1: well, I'm a Celtics fan. Uh, I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm an Alabama fan. I'm a Braves fan. Like we, it's already so low. There is really. Uh, why do we
0: even do this show together? Okay. I don't know why we're friends. I don't even have a clue. So there you go. Hey Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Is there you've got you've got a, a couple hundred pastors, uh, ministry leaders around uh, the world that are that are listening to this. And in closing, is there anything that you would like to say to them? Any word of encouragement to them?
2: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's um, big church, small church, big place, small place. Our king's the same. The message is the same. Jesus is Lord. We follow him. We're calling people to him. If we're doing that, we're being faithful to what we've been called to. And um, uh, all other strategy and all other innovation and all over anything aside, we've got him. We've got his word. Keep pushing.
0: Keep praying. Amen. Good word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on this edition of the Small Church Podcast. We hope that you found this episode insightful. Want to remind you to subscribe to the Small Church Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so that you never miss an episode and stay connected with our growing community online. If you like what you heard, if you love what you heard, go ahead and like this, share this, follow us, leave us a comment, drop your insights into the poll that you will find online. Visit us on Facebook or our website at higherministries.com. We also want to send a special thank you out to Ben Rule for joining us today and some of the things that we found on the show. Check out the book, A Big Gospel in Small Places. Also visit the Village Green Collective. And if you would like to talk more to Ben about his ministry and how you could be involved with Small Town Summits, visit smalltownsummit.org. This podcast is a conversation, and so we really want to invite you to share your thoughts with us. Thanks for being a part of the Small Church Podcast. Have a great week.